Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. She was well-liked by a lot of people in the community. You have somebody who's a firefighter and this hero, role model type person that disappears, and so it's going to draw people's attention to her and to the case. Her children um, are traumatized. They'll sit there and think and think and think and run the what-ifs through their mind, and, and it, it preys on their mind a lot. You know, it, it, it's wrong for, for somebody to not know what happened to one of their parents. Just disappeared off the face of the earth and not a clue. Just somebody tell me where my daughter's at. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Go screaming or what do I need to do? It's like, where is my daughter? Where are you, Brandy? Where are you? Dear God, where are you? (laughs) I'm Florida Today news columnist John A. Torres. And welcome to season three of our award-winning podcast, Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? Season three is an old-fashioned murder mystery. That is, if we can prove a murder even took place. I'll explain in a bit. It's a case that has been nagging at us for years. Our goal is to seek justice on behalf of a woman who disappeared more than 11 years ago amid some unusual circumstances. She was a wife, a firefighter, someone's little girl, a mom, and, as we will learn, she was no angel. Her name is Brandy Hall, and she disappeared on a muggy August night in 2006. Others here at Florida Today had written about Brandy's disappearance, but her case never really came across my radar until I received a phone call in July 2014 that stirred my interest. It was from an old-timer with a slow Midwest country drawl who left a message on my voicemail telling me that he was a retired detective working one last case, a case that haunted him, one he wouldn't let go. It was a case, he said, that he hoped to solve before he died. And by the sound of his voice and the hacking smoker's cough, that day didn't seem too far off. Again, he kept saying it would be his last case. He reminded me of a character from a John Grisham novel. Even his name had a literary flair to it, Sid Ladau. I called him back and he started telling me about his obsession with finding out what really happened to Brandy Hall, a woman he had never even met. How can a young mother just vanish? Someone must know something. Her family, her children, her parents, her husband are tormented and deserve answers. Sid really feels for Brandy's parents. They're, they're coping the best they can. Her mom and dad are having a more difficult time of it, I think, especially the father. Um, that was his baby, that was his doll, and, and he's just really torn up about that. I know the case forward and backwards. 
I just wish there was something to lead us to actually be able to name a suspect or a person of interest. But I haven't seen it yet. This old detective is hoping he'll find that something. Find that clue that helps him close out his last case. He's counting on it, in fact. And so is Brandy's mom, Debbie Rogie, who proved to be the most emotional interview I did for this podcast. I don't know. Somebody knows something. It's been over 11 years. I mean, if you want to talk to me privately, talk to me privately. I want to know where my daughter is. I want to know what happened to my daughter. I mean, if you're on your deathbed eventually, I want to talk to you because I don't want to go to my deathbed and not know where my daughter's at. I need my daughter. She's my daughter. It was coming up on the anniversary of Brandy Hall's disappearance, and Sid Liddell wanted to get something in the paper to keep her story, her case, her memory alive. I think, in a way, it was also a way of keeping him alive. Sid reminded me that we had previously worked together on a story, and that's when I remembered the case of Ed Smith, who, like Brandy Hall, had gone missing. Ed Smith was last seen in 1988, and his family and the police feared foul play. The thing about Ed Smith's case that really struck a chord with me was that Sid Liddell was the lead detective on the case for Palm Bay, but retired in 1995 with the case unresolved. And yet, there he was, 10 years later when I'd started writing about Ed Smith, coming out of retirement to work the case again for free. When I asked him why, he told me that he owed it to Ed Smith's family. And besides, he added, it was a chance to get back in the saddle again. And this old-time detective did it. He cracked the Ed Smith case, a case that had sat unsolved for more than a decade. Having previously only spoken with Sid on the phone, I decided to meet with him at his Palm Bay home to learn a little bit more about Brandy Hall. But first I wanted some background. So I went into our archives and I read up on Brandy's case. I knew there was something about drugs and firefighters and a pickup truck, but not a whole lot more than that. The stories we had written over the years added little. She'd vanished in August 2006, and every August since, someone at the paper would write the obligatory update story which really offered little more than a rehashing of the facts we already knew. Since it was an open investigation, the Palm Bay police would not release certain details about the case. So here is what we had. On August 17, 2006, Brandy Hall left the Malabar fire station where she volunteered just before 11 p.m. She'd said she was going home. Her family had an important date in court the next morning. But her husband said she never showed up at home, and she never turned up in court. In fact, she's never been seen since. Drugs. We know that her husband, once a respected fire chief in Osceola County, was involved in a drug operation for a while. We also know about an 11-minute phone call that Brandy made that night after leaving the fire station. And we know that Brandy was not quite the person that she portrayed herself to be. She harbored secrets, 
And maybe it was that hidden side, the secret side of Brandy Hall, that wound up being her downfall. So exactly what was this case? At first, it was just a missing person case. But eventually, it would be called the homicide, even though there was no body, no corpus delecti, meaning we're not even sure a crime was committed. Brandy's remains, if they're out there, have never been found. What has kept police from solving the Brandy Hall case? And why has it become the final case for a retired ailing detective who should be spending his retirement years with a cane pole at a pond or visiting with his grandchildren instead of driving around Central Florida to interview anyone who knew Brandy Hall, writing reports, exploring theories, and hanging signs imploring tipsters to please call. Why was Sid Dow working this case now at the age of 78? What was the draw? Before I went to his house, I looked him up in the archives as well and found a story someone wrote about his retirement in 1995, six years before I even started here at Florida Today, where he was referred to as a, quote, human bloodhound. And yet, the Brandy Hall case? Well, let's just say it's been a frustrating case for everyone involved. But this one, there is nothing. There, there's, I can't find anything. You know, the assigned detectives at the police department have beat this thing to death. Um, and I have too. You sit around and second-guess yourself. What if? You know, play the iffy game. And, you know, I keep putting signs up. And then I ask myself why. It's to keep the public informed that, hey, she's still missing. One of his peers described him like this. He's like an old-time 1950s or 60s detective using the technology of today's world. He's the type of guy who could pick up an old case and make it blossom. At the time, Ladau told the reporter who wrote the story that he was retiring because the types of cases he worked, murder, child abuse, abuse of the elderly, and sex crimes, had simply taken their toll on him. It's so emotionally bankrupting, he said. You can't come home and talk about child abuse. Nobody wants to hear it. Lastly, the article mentioned Sid had plans to move to West Virginia and enjoy retirement. But I guess guys like Sid never really retire. Now, just about every good detective in these types of stories has a partner. In Sid's case, he's had more than one. His wife, Sue, encouraged him every step of the way and knew just as much about the case as he did. In fact, sometimes when I called and Sid wasn't home, she was able to provide the information I was looking for. She was one of the sweetest women I've ever met and actually started sending me birthday and Christmas cards after I first drove out to their Palm Bay home to meet her and Sid. She died shortly after Christmas of 2016, and part of Sid died along with her. I truly think the only thing keeping him alive now is the need to close out the Brandy Hall case. Now, 78 years old, he still sets his wife's coffee cup out on the table every morning before sitting down with his coffee and the newspaper, and he puts roses on her nightstand. There are other endearing idiosyncrasies he does daily to keep her spirit close, but some things are so beautiful 
They deserve privacy. And so we will just leave it at that. Sid's other partner on the case for several years has been another retired detective by the name of Doc Jones. Now that is a badass name. And again, it conjures up images of a dime store crime novel. I wouldn't meet Doc until years later, but more about him in a bit. Sid Ladow and Doc Jones. What a duo. And now Brandy's mom is counting on these two detectives who seem to be from another era. Counting on them to crack one more case. When the, um, when the phone rings and stuff, do you, like, hope it's hard? Do you hope to hear her voice on the other end? Oh, yes. I, every breath I take is for her, to pray for her. Like, every breath, it's like I'm hoping to see her walk in that door. Just every second, and I know it's coming. I know it is, because somebody's got to... It's time. It's way past time. And I just know God's going to let us know because... Yeah, I mean, you guys need some peace, right? Yes. You need some peace now and... Yes. Just somebody tell me where my daughter's at. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Go screaming or what do I need to do? It's like, where is my daughter? Where are you, Brandy? Where are you? Dear God, where are you? (laughs) You can't see Brandy's mom when she says that, but you should know that she looks up out the window, almost like she's looking at God, begging, pleading, please help me find my daughter. It's that kind of emotion and passion that I encountered when I first met Sid Ladow and his wife, Sue. Their excitement in seeing me and telling me about Brandy was rivaled only by the nonstop yapping of their two Shetland sheepdogs, aptly named Bonnie and Clyde. Sid recently told me that he's gone 40 days without a cigarette, and that made me smile. I've never smoked, but I felt as if I had for 10 years after spending 90 minutes with Sid and his wife that day. I started out by asking him about himself. He had spent 20 years in the Army and saw plenty of action in Vietnam. The Illinois native found himself in Palm Bay after leaving the military and, well, I was amazed to learn how he actually became a detective. Again, you can't make this stuff up, unless you're John Grisham. Oh, I fiddled around and and said, you know, maybe I can be a cop. So I went to the uh, academy and I applied to Palm Bay and fortunately I was hired. The chief of police didn't have the money at the time to buy me uniforms, and he said, going back in detectives till I get some money. He never got the money, and I stayed back there for almost uh, 20 years. So that's how I got started in it. Wow. And I was, I was very lucky there. I was uh, solving some crime and making some arrests. Just as interesting and fluky was his explanation about how he got involved in the Brandy Hall case. He'd come back from retirement and just helped solve the Ed Smith case and went to his commander, John Blackledge, basically to let him know he was done and he would be riding off into the sunset. But Blackledge had other ideas. I was retired. I had just finished working the Ed Smith case. He had, um, Charlie Shuhart pled guilty, was sentenced to jail, so I went back over there to talk with the commander, uh, John Blackledge, and I said, there, we're done, buddy. And he said, wait a minute. 
Let's take a look at this one. That was Brandy Hall. So that was, uh, I think that was February of 2006 when Doc Jones and I picked that one up and started working it. I think he meant 2010, as Brandy went missing in August 2006. So, just like me, Sid had to first learn who Brandy Hall was. And honestly, that's not as easy as it sounds. Brandy was a complicated person, as you'll hear in episode two. But most immediately, what got me was Sid dedicating all this time, all this energy, basically his retirement, to find someone he'd never even met. What drives that passion? I grew up in a small farming community in the Midwest, and that the Midwest uh, work ethic was always at me. I always tried to give it 100%. Um, that, and maybe throw in a little bit of Asperger syndrome. And I'm always curious on what happened, what happened. I want to know what happened. And then the, the part of doing good and, and helping the family out, you know, that's, I think that, um, that's important. The old detective slowed down a little bit after Sue passed away, and he's had some serious medical issues since then himself. Still, he vows never to stop working the case, and, well, I believe him. So, you know, I would pray that we do find her, but whether we will or not, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm not going to quit. You know, I lost my best cheerleader, my wife. She was always saying, here, do this or do that. You know, here's some money. Go buy some more signs or something. So, uh, but, but I'm dedicated. I'll do it for, for as long as I live. I'll be out there doing something with it. I've got another hundred signs i got to put up. Um, I can't be on a ladder. I'm a little unsteady because of my hip replacement. So I've got to find a volunteer. I'll hold the ladder and he gets up and nails them to the tree. I mean, seriously, Sid Liddow is like some hero from a movie, right? He really is amazing. Now, let's take a moment and turn back the clock. Let's go back to August 17th, 2006. Brandy's final night, as far as we know. The night that set in motion Sid's final quest. And the night that leads into our story. It would be a night that would haunt many, including suspects in this case, for years to come. It was a warm and muggy day with humidity topping out at 84%. The temperature reached 89, but had dropped down to 75 by the time our story really starts. It would be no ordinary night. Brandy was working the overnight shift at the Malabar Volunteer Fire Department. She did this often, and would call home, as she did that night, to say bedtime prayers with her two young children. Now, Malabar is a small town with a rural feel to it. It's only about 13 square miles, of which 2.6 square miles are water, and only about 3,000 people live there. There are hiking trails, parks, and lots of open spaces and no tall buildings to speak of. It's one of the few places left in Brevard County that still has some dirt roads. The town has that volunteer fire department, but no police of its own. Okay, so August 2006, Brandy's at work in the firehouse. But she had other things on her mind. Big things. So Brandy tells her fire captain she's going to take off early. There's just too much going on in her life. 
The last image of Brandy was at 10.32 p.m. from surveillance cameras in the station. Brandy is preparing to leave the station. She enters the common area of the firehouse. There are three firefighters sitting on couches, one walking with a bag, and another by the door. Brandy, wearing a white long-sleeved pullover, engages the firefighter by the door for a few moments. She then walks through the next room alone, on her way out to her truck. And then the final image captures the taillights of her beloved pickup, slowly leaving the station's camera frame at 10.50 p.m. The images are a bit chilling in hindsight because, well, that's it. She's gone. I mean, really gone. You work it as the worst-case scenario. That's very difficult because now um, you can't say for sure that there's a homicide, so you're working it as one, but uh, without uh, being able to have a body, you can't determine the circumstances surrounding the death, so therefore you can't determine how she died, when she died, where she died, if she's died. So it's a, a, it's a, it's a whodunit. That was former detective Ken Arnold. Over the next few weeks, we'll hear from family and friends and psychics and police. Some of the interviews you'll hear, including one conducted by police with a suspect, have never been made public before. We will look at records and documents and examine every rumor and innuendo. We will learn who Brandy Hall really was and whether her actions caused her to make enemies. We've heard her described as firefighter, hero, role model. But what secrets was she harboring? And could they have led to her vanishing? And we'll learn why police think this was not just the case of someone walking away, but, in fact, a murder. Here's a sample of what to expect this season on Murder on the Space Coast. Brown, I want to ask you a question, bud. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm from the country. I kind of shoot straight from the hip, all right? Go. Did you kill Brian? No, sir. I did not. Last we know, she left the fire department. Everything was fine. Um, and that was about midnight on the 17th. And up until then, no one knows where she's been. I just can't wait for the day that I can give her a hug and... I just can't wait for that day, and I know it's coming soon. I just believe it in my heart. I just miss her. I miss you, Brandy, so much. It's like, somebody, please bring my daughter home. It's like, Brandy, where are you? It's like, please, somebody bring her home. Whoever you are, please talk. Thank you, and God bless you. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres. And you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers. And the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast. Brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.